Ogumbawale for the win. Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockdownWBB. You can hear all of my wonderful fellow LockdownWBB hosts, whether it's Amy Audibert, the great Eric Ayala, Gabe Ibrahim, talking about the game that all of us love so much. Lockdown Women's Basketball is brought to you by Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has nine Delicious flavors, not to mention the limited time flavors, but the nine. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, which is Grandma Myrna's favorite, and salted caramel. So there is something for everyone. The thing to me about double chocolate is as I'm eating it, I understand I'm eating something that's healthy too. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, and 4 grams of net carbs. I'm telling you, before Mother's Day, it's a good thing to reach out to Locked Locked 15, the promo code, over at BuiltBar.com. Get it for mom. I can tell you that's what my mother enjoys. When you do, BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKED15, you get 15% off your first order. And when you go, I can't stress this enough, tell them Grandma Myrna sent you. So I'm going to get right to it. If you remember last week, we were talking to and about Atlanta Dream head coach Nikki Collin. Funny story. Yeah. That's Baylor head coach Nikki Collin now. It's a really interesting backstory. There's a lot that's gone on over the last week. You know, Nikki's going to make a great head coach at Baylor, I believe. A real fit. A real understanding for how the college game works. A lot of the reasons that we talked about why I thought she was going to do so well in Atlanta. You know, Kennedy Carter's in year two. Harry McDonald's a rookie, and the idea was, well, this is somebody who understands the mind of the young player, who understands how to get pieces to fit together. And these are the types of things that, if anything, are going to serve her even better at the college level. So I'm going to present to you now something I think you really enjoy. Nice long conversation. It's me. It's Nikki Collin. It's Doug Feinberg, friend to all, and writer at the Associated Press covering women's basketball, an important voice you should be following as well. I'm sure you are if you're here. And Spencer Nussbaum, who I have the great honor of editing over at The Next. He covers the Atlanta Dream, and he covers the Big 12. So Spencer, who was on the last Nikki Collin Atlanta Dream call, was on the first Nikki Collin Baylor call. So without further ado, I'm just going to turn you over to that. Enjoy. We sure did. You're listening to Lockdown Women's Basketball. Hi, guys. Good afternoon, Nikki. Afternoon. What up? 
I want to start by asking you, what's the first takeaway you're going to have when you think back on the memories of this week? What's like the moment that this all hits you and the one that's going to be foremost in your mind? Um, I think, um, I think the thing that I'll remember in a lot of ways, um, was, uh, really the, the Zoom with the dream players because I was so concerned, um, with how that would go. Um, I, I always, like, I would say that, you know how, I mean, I've been in college, uh, I, I committed to a program when I played and certainly went to, um, recruited a lot of players and I know that when it's that feeling of you can't really enjoy the moment until you've said, you know, you've gone through the proper steps to say goodbye. Um, and, and I think that was part of it. Like it, I couldn't, I almost couldn't get excited about Baylor until I had that moment with, with those dream players to, you know, kind of pour my heart out to them about, you know, kind of why. And so, you know, when, when Courtney Williams was the first person to, um, say, coach, stop crying, <laughs> you know, like stop crying. Like this, you know, it, it was, it was that moment that I thought, okay, these guys get it. Like they get how incredible an opportunity that this is. I'll ask an easier question. Who's got a better shoe game? You or Mulkey? Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> She's got more wins than me. I, I think I got a better shoe game. But, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm curious if I can jump in here. Uh, nice to see you after the uh, training camp presses. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious if you've talked with uh, Tiffany at all yet, because I know she was still overseas. Yeah, she and I have texted back and forth. She she sent me a text to say congrats, and, you know, um, we kind of texted back and forth. She had, obviously, today, I, I haven't – I've been a little busy um, catching up with my own team here now, but um, they were playing game three, the championship game of the, the Spanish series today. So, um, you know, I was – I had wished her luck this morning. Um, just can't get that out of my, you know – uh, to do mental checklists, like I knew she was playing today, so just we'd even texted today just um, about the game. Did you, when you talked about recruiting your own players this week, and that's what this is, what's that pitch like? What are you, how are you selling your your regime to these players right now? Yeah, I mean, I think um, some of that is just getting to know them. You know, some of it isn't like a, a pitch as much as let's just sit down. I mean, certainly they've heard me on a Zoom call. Um, they 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 saw me um, kind of meet with them in a group setting when I first got here. But even that, I told them was like super awkward because you know there's just all kinds of random people around in the gym and they're filming it and and uh, you know as much as anything, looking for sound bites, I'm sure uh, to capture. So. Um, you know, I, I had kind of pulled them all in um, and, and into a kind of a small huddle, and we were talking, and that's when the question about, like, are we going to be allowed to chew gum came up and, you know, things like that. Um, are we going to be able to show our tattoos? Like, um, 
you know, what, what's important to 18 to 22 year olds. Uh, but, you know, some of it is, it's going to be different for every player. You know, is it Moon Urson? You know, who's coming, who could potentially come back for a fifth year and, you know, or is it, um, Melissa, you know, Melissa, is it Queen? Is it, you know, they all have, um, they all have different stories and, you know, we've got a lot of players who, um, you know, were injured this year or transferred this year, um, that, you know, just haven't kind of started, kick-started their Baylor careers yet, whether it's K-Mac or Sarah Andrews didn't get a ton of playing time and, you know, different players trying to figure out, like, where they at. And so, as much as anything, their one-on-one talks to talk about, you know, what are, what is, what are their passions? Like, why Baylor? What, what do they see, um, for themselves and for the team? And, and, you know, then how can I help them? You know, ultimately, like, um, you know, I was talking about being a servant leader long before I was at Baylor. Um, and so it's, it, it, it comes down to how, how do I serve them? Um, how do I make this the right place for them if, if they're questioning that? And a lot of them aren't even questioning that. Um, you know, but for the ones that might be, you know, it's, it's, it's as much as anything a chance for them to get to know me. Um, you know, my open door policy, my idea of, you know, how much I'm going to pour into them as people. Um, and so I think that that's been a big part of, you know, kind of this quote recruiting pitch. Thank you. When you last coached college, the transfer portal, I don't think it existed. Kids transfer, but it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. That sort of helped you in a sense, because to me, it's sort of like free agency in WNBA that makes your best pitch and, and try to get the kid to come to you, usually a grad transfer or whatever it may be. Is that help you a little bit of catch up, so to speak, and not have to worry about that? I haven't really done, dealt with the transfer portal the college level, but you, you kind of have dealt with it in the pros. Yeah, I've actually used that same terminology. I, I feel like it's it's they're all unrestricted free agents. You know, they're not even restricted uh, where their teams can match the people. So, you know, it, it is. It's unrestricted free agency, and, you know, so I, I think it is a little bit make your best pitch. I mean, look at, look at Jordan Lewis. I had a great conversation with her, and, Look, part of recruiting is what's your network, what's your story, um, you know, what are people saying about you before you're you're even talking to them, you know? And so, I mean, it, it's amazing how even in Jordan Lewis's case, you know, she really came down to Clemson, Alabama, and FGCU. I mean, we had her on campus when I was at FGCU that very last year, and, you know, considering she's already had five years of college, that's, you know, puts me still kind of back in range of, of being in that recruiting world. But, you know, it's it's the relationships outside of that. It's Central Florida Elite and her connection to her coach there, who's connected to Sid McCaskill, who played at Georgia and played at FGCU and someone I'm really close to. You know, when you have people saying, like, um, yeah, you need to go play for her, you know, before you ever, you know, have that conversation with them, that helps, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, I've always said that, you know, I mean, I, I really believe this is who I am, you know. I mean, I, I truly believe that, you know, I, I want to leave a trail of people that like and respect like, who I am as much as, you know, what I know about basketball. Um, because you never know, you know, what that's going to look like. Ironically, like here at Baylor, um, Marcus Sedbury and Didi Brown Campbell both were, in the athletic department at Arkansas when I was there, you know, and so, you know, what, I'm not sure how much they impacted my being hired here, but they certainly, if I had been a jerk, <laughs> you know, at, at Arkansas, 
like, yeah, I think it's a little harder um, to get this job. Sorry, there's crazy flies around me right now. <laughs> Just like a... Uh, You're under attack, huh? Yeah, it's under siege all of a sudden. Um, I have a, a question for you. I'm not going to act like, uh, I don't think you've even act like you've had much time to actually break down, you know, film on many of the players yet. Um, but, but I am curious how you envision maximizing, especially Melissa's talent. Obviously in Atlanta, um, that was a very guard-oriented uh, rotation, and now you have, like, Melissa and Queen to really build off of that. I'm curious how you kind of envisioning, envision maximizing the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think we were we were guard heavy as a result of you know um, who we drafted certainly and and, and who uh, we were able to get in free agency. Um, you know, I, I've said this before. Like, I think that you know anyone that says I'm a guard oriented person is I'm. What can we get? And then how do I utilize those players to the best of their ability? So, you know, there's very few programs. Um, in college basketball, I mean, if, if there's also five players that are skilled, um, they, they tend to go <laughs> to very few programs. Um, and so then you have a choice if you're not at those programs of um, taking six, five players that are really raw and maybe not as talented or taking six, one and six, two players who are slightly more talented or more skilled and, and playing a little more smallish. So, you know, I've always been in that situation. You know, we've, we've never been at the top of the heap in terms of, you know, who we could go get. You know, we wanted to go beat somebody out for someone, and maybe if we had a local tie, Jess Jackson, you know, we got when we were at Arkansas because she was an Arkansas kid. Um, but, you know, when it, when it comes to what Melissa's talent, you know, I, I think we're – you know, the, the challenge to her is, like, how do I make her the number one pick um, in, the, in the 2022 draft? I mean, that that's that's the thing that she should be aspiring to, you know? I mean, and there's going to be a short list of players for that. She's going to be in that grouping, but what's going to set her apart, you know? And, and I think where she has to develop is, you know, her ability to um, drive her assist to turnover ratio up, um, her ability to pass the ball, her ability to put it on the bounce from the perimeter, I mean, everybody knows she's great in transition. She's going to rim run. She's explosive. Um, you know, she can score at the rim. Uh, but she's been a low volume and a low efficiency three-point shooter. I mean, there's her numbers are so low volume that it's, that it's hard to know until I get her in the gym. Like, how close is she to being a really solid three-point shooter? And if she, if she isn't, how do we get her there? You know, how do we get her in space? Can we... Can we utilize her a little like Alyssa Thomas and, and short roll with her and get her into space and teach her how to make reads? And and so I, I think her upside um, is, is really impressive. I think, you know, her growth comes from, you know, how, how willing is she to get in the gym and to work on the things that um, she's not as good at. Because so often players that are as talented as she is athletically, she's obviously been successful, you know, scoring from eight feet in it. You know, and so I think it's it's not getting crazy. It's not, you know, my job is to win. Um, certainly not as much to necessarily make her the number one pick in the draft. But I think the two can go hand in hand. Her ability to continue to grow as a player um, goes hand in hand with our ability to be the best possible basketball team that we can be. So that kind of touches on what I wanted to ask you about, which is there's, I guess, two parts to this really, which is one, just from a recruiting point of view, I feel like there's more of a connection that 
fighters too are drawing between coming up through the AAU pipeline, playing at college, playing professionally um, in a way that you kind of take for granted on the men's side. So to the extent that when you're making the case for players to come to Baylor, you're having that conversation about, look, I've been there, I've won there, I know what it takes to get to the professional ranks. I'm just wondering how significant that will be. And just related to it, Baylor has, you know, under Tim, just simply not taken threes at all. I mean, like 343rd, I think, of 343 in points, uh, percentage of points they got from beyond the three-point line. I wonder how much you think, because you talked about, you know, look, it's who you have and it's making the best of who you have, but how much you think that is likely to change how quickly under a Nikki Collin team at Baylor next year? Yeah, that, that'll change quickly. I, I certainly think that um, we need people to make them, though. You know, like if people don't prove to me they can make them, we, we certainly shouldn't be shooting them. Um, you know, I mean, there, there has to be a threshold of success um, to make that, you know, a good move. Um, you know, I think our growth comes from spacing. You can't have spacing without the ability to make threes and make threes from multiple positions. And so, you know, does that mean that at times our best lineup is not going to be a lineup that shoots the three particularly well? Um, can we can we get some players that are 25% three-point shooters to shoot 30%? That could make a huge difference. Um, you know, it, it, it affects recruiting and who we go after. Um, I think more than necessarily how it looks immediately. Like, I'd like to believe it can change immediately. Um, but once again, you, you, you want to win games. And so if, if us winning games means we're going to defend – you know, the crap out of people and we're going to create turnovers and we're going to create easy baskets in transition and then we're going to jump up and press and do it all over again. If that's what it takes for us to win right now with our personnel, that's what we're going to do. If it takes setting diagonal screens and cross screens to get, you know, clean and the list of the ball in the box, then that's what we're going to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly long term want to be system driven. I also am smart enough to be wind driven <laughs> and and let's you know it, it would be different if, if I was starting from scratch and they hadn't had success and they didn't have great players then you can be system driven and over time recruit to that I think with this team it's you know I want to open it up I want to give them opportunities that they haven't had I want it to look and feel differently but I want to win basketball games and I know that we're talented enough to do that you know um, assuming we keep most or all of this current roster. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a work in progress in terms of what does it look like in June, you know, when they're in the gym? What does it look like, you know, as we get healthier and healthier, um, you know, in terms of with defense and, and on the court and then, and then me being willing to adapt and figure out, you know, both short-term and long-term, um, you know, how we can be successful. Nikki, I know you heard us about the emotions the last week or so. Uh, Mark, to answer Howard's question the other day, said he didn't wake up on his day planner and said, hey, you're the new interim head coach. is a dream. What was the timeline for you? I mean, how did this all come about? I don't think you woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm going to be the new coach at Baylor. Maybe it did, but, like, how did this all come about from a week ago, wherever it was, that you were all coaching the dream and everything was great there, and now all of a sudden you have a new job with a – New title, so to speak. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a week ago, Howard asked me, I guess more like 10 days ago, right? What's it going to take for you to go to Baylor? You know, and I, I laughed at it, kind of scoffed at it. Um, you know, when this first started, the, the first call I got, or the, it really was just a text, like, would you be interested in Baylor, um, was from a friend on the media side, to be honest. And I said, you know, but it was a close friend and someone I've known a long, long time. And I, I said, yeah, like, I, I'm, I, I, I'd be interested in listening, you know, just, um, not thinking anything of it. Um, I think it was Wednesday uh, when the search firm reached out to me. So like eight days ago, the search firm reached out and I had a conversation with the search firm. Who knows where that's going? You know, didn't, didn't think anything of it. Still very dialed in uh, to my team. You know, really always felt like I would, if anything, I was maybe like the out of the box candidate, you know, like let's, let's make sure we're not missing anybody, you know, type of situation. And, um, you know, then I talked to the athletic director Thursday uh, on the phone, and, uh, you know, he said, okay, you know, I, I think I'm going to go back and talk to my group, but I, I think I might want to talk to you in person. You know, what does your schedule look like? And I said, well, I play a preseason game on Saturday. And, you know, they said, okay, well, then we'd be willing to come to you. Um, so, you know, I don't think I knew until Friday that they were coming and when they were coming on Sunday. Um, so, you know, we we met for about seven hours on Sunday. Um, then, um, you know, I went, well, I talked to the president. They asked me if I wanted to talk to the president. And um, so really it didn't come together until Sunday into Monday, you know, in terms of what this looked like. I mean, I, I'll admit that when they, when, when Max said, um, would you be open to talking to the president? I figured that was a pretty good thing. <laughs> You know, um, but, you know, it wasn't until they offered me the job. Um, uh-oh, are they there? We hear you. I mean, yeah, we got you. Yeah. Okay. Your email jumped up. We're good. We're back to normal, pile. my bad. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it really wasn't until from Sunday to Monday, and it, it really, it's kind of a blur, you know, because I can promise you there was no sleep Sunday. Um, there was no sleep Monday, there was very little sleep Tuesday night, and then last night it was flat-out crash, like a, you know, um, end of the press conference, end of the VIP, you know, reception afterwards, and my family flew home, and I was in a hotel room alone, and it was just, I got nothing left. Like, literally, there is nothing left in the tank. So can I clarify, is, is Howard not a media friend then? He's... <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, I, I, okay, I should say non-women's basketball uh, media, <laughs> someone that's like more of a friend than a media person, but happens to be in media. So I yeah. appreciate that distinction. <laughs> I, I had to make sure because I want to know how it has a, a relatively large ego at times. So I want to make sure that like he's considered a good friend to you. I just want to get like Mickey didn't call me a media friend. He, yeah. he take credit. He talked to you, and you did say that. He reached out saying, hey, you're just in the job. It is a humble honor to consider. He gets credit for it. He did bring the Baylor job up to me first, but I can honestly say that when he brought it up to me, I mean, I, 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 I was literally chuckling to myself like, yeah, Baylor. You know, like, uh, <laughs> you just I, – I think, I think had I been um, 
coach of the year three years in a row in the WNBA or two of three or come off, you know, like then, then maybe I would have felt more confident about like generally speaking, like how I would be viewed. Um, you know, but I, I think it was that as much as anything. I think the, the fact that, you know, Stephanie White made the, the W to college transition and it didn't go as smoothly, um, as probably she had hoped. You know, it kind of, um, does that to the stage for that not being, uh, you know, a normalized path, um, to and from. And so, you know, I, I just, I didn't really think this was a reality. I mean, I, I just, but I also didn't think getting the, the Atlanta dream job was a reality. You know, when, when I was first asked if I, you know, was interested in it and, and then interviewing for it, I really thought, okay, the WNBA recycles coaches. That's what they do. You know, a coach coaches at three or four places and, you know, that's, that's what they do. They want people with WNBA experience. And, you know, I've never been a head coach at any level. I, I had two years of experience in Connecticut. One year we were under 500. The next year, you know, we obviously lost in the first round um, of the playoffs. And so, you know, I just, you know, but, you know, here's the thing. And I, I said this in my press conference yesterday. Like, I'm at that point in my life where this is me. Like, I'm not I'm not going to go into an interview trying to get a job. I'm not going to try to answer questions how they, how I think they might want to want me to answer them. Like, it's just kind of like, this is, this is me. This is authentically me. And, you know, this is who I am. And this is how I view my job. And this is how I go to work every day. And here's how I think offensively. And here's how I think defensively. And here's how, this is what I think about players and, and what I think my job is. And, and uh, if that's good enough, then great. And if it's not, then then that's okay too. So, you know, I, I, that probably in some ways comes across that I'm that I'm authentically being me. And the reality is, it's because it's true. <laughs> I will say, in terms of the timeline, for what it's worth, I couldn't really tell anything was up until the final uh, training camp press conference. So I think you hit it pretty well. <laughs> um, I'm curious, just one final Atlanta question from me: If you could talk about your perspective on Mike and Darius taking over um, and if you have any insight into what the future, especially with the front office, looks like? Well, the, the Mike Darius question is one I'm very comfortable asking, uh, answering. Um, I would say um, nothing made me uh, more comfortable in making this move than when I said Mike, it, Mike and Darius. I, I mean, I'll, I assume based on Mike's history, um, and the timing that that would be the, the direction the franchise would go in. Um, and so when I was talking to them on Monday and I said, Mike, you know, would, would you coach this team? And he's like, um, you know, I don't know. And he's like, he's like, well, let me, let me restate that. You know, I will, I will coach this team if Darius will stay and coach this team with me. And, and so he just asked him right there in front of me, Darius, will you stay and coach this team with me if that's the direction that this organization wants to go? And Darius said, yes. Nothing made me happier, honestly. Like, nothing made me happier than knowing because we did everything together. I mean, I wrote the practice plan, but, you know, they had input into the practice plan. Like, tell me what you think we need to work on tomorrow. Um, tell me what drills we're missing that, that you know, I mean, help me implement. You know, I mean, we were very collaborative. Um, they had huge voices. Mike had a, an offensive voice. Darius has always called the out-of-bounds plays. You know, I, I mean, I've always give, given them autonomy. I think the best way to be a leader is to allow the people you're working with to have a big voice, um, you know, because, 
you want players when they go out of the game and sit down on the bench and they're sitting next to an assistant coach, you want them to trust that, that their voice is an extension of mine, you know, and that what they're hearing is the same thing they hear if they stopped and were talking to me. And there's no way for them to know that if they, if they don't have a voice all the time. Um, and so I'm sure that, that those um, changes were seamless. I, I'm sure not much has changed. I mean, Mike's going to tweak things and Darius is going to tweak things and I have my personality and they have theirs. And, um, but ultimately, like, I, I just don't think they're going to, they're going to skip a beat. Oh, and as for the front office, you asked that question. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I have no idea. I mean, I know Mike s- spoke to, he's not feeling like this is an audition. Um, you know, like he's, he's not trying to be the next head coach of the Atlanta dream. Um, I think Mike is very comfortable in being an assistant coach in the WNBA. Um, it was why I was comfortable hiring him in some ways because you know, it was, I, I've been there, I've done that, I just want to serve you. I, I like not having those um, duties off the court. You know, I, I like not doing press conferences. I like, um, you know, not having all those extra things that, that are on head coaches' plates. He's like, I like coaching players. I like rebounding for players. I like, you know, all of the parts of the game. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think that leads them to, you know, probably having a, you know, maybe they'll be starting it sooner, but I think that gives the Atlanta dream a long time to think about the direction, you know, going into 2022, like what that might look like for them. Um, but I think, you know, Mike saying that probably tells them right now that, you know, they're, they're not evaluating whether he's the next coach of the team. They're just going to support him um, with this team and try to help this team be the best version that it can be. And then they figure out going forward, like, who aligns with, like, how they view um, the direction that that organization wants to go in. And the last one for me, Nikki, is just what does success look like here? You know, <laughs> obviously, you know, with Kim winning championships, there's certain expectations built into it, but – I just wonder how you view it, what you think success is, how in a year you're going to know that you're on the right path. Um, you know, how does that lay out when you think about it? You know, I think I probably need, you know, a little more time to figure out what success looks like. I mean, I, I think that um, I know I have big shoes to fill. I know that um, – you know, I can't walk down the hallway here. <laughs> My office is bare right now, but I can tell you the hallway is going to remind me. When I look into the gym, you know, you see the banners and you see all the pictures of the national championship teams. Um, you know, no coach. It, it, you know, if you're a WNBA coach, you want to win a, a WNBA championship every year. You know, when when you're a college head coach, you want to win um, an NCAA championship every year. So, you know, certainly that's not realistic at some programs. It's just not, you know, I mean, maybe making the NCAA tournament is realistic. Maybe making a sweet 16 is realistic. Um, but that might be it. You know, I, I think, um, you know, success is going to look like, um, us being the best version of ourselves. It's going to be, um, you know, us competing, um, at a high level. Um, you know, I don't, you know, we're not, I'm not going to do an analytical breakdown like we did with the dream and say, hey, if we score 85 points a game, there's been no team in WNBA history that hasn't made the playoffs that's averaged 85 points a game. That I can tell you. You know, I, I don't think it's that simple, you know, at this level what that means because, you know, you're not talking about 12 teams and, and eight making the playoffs. So, 
you know, I, I think I'll have a better feel for what it looks like when I get out on the court and really understand some of these guys that transferred in and haven't played and, um, you know, how they start to work together, what I think our goals should be. I mean, I, I think the goals here are always going to be to win Big 12 championships. It's always going to be to compete for a national championship. I'm not going to measure myself um, based on that. I'm going to measure myself by the relationships. I'm going to measure myself by the growth. I'm going to measure myself if, if I'm doing my job to the best of my ability. Um, and then I'm just going to I'm going to continue to grind because if, if there's anything I know how to do, it's the grind. And so now the grind becomes recruiting. You know, I think the craziest thing for me in the last week, honestly, like the craziest thing for me is the timing and like where I was at mentally in terms of preparation. You know, I just spent an entire off season preparing, you know, to play a game, right. you know, and, and we were in step one of that, you know, with the preseason game on Saturday and, and, you know, dialed into when is Tiffany Hayes going to be back and how do I integrate her, you know, back into the fold when she gets back. And now all of a sudden I'm in off season mode and it's, you know, talking to players about being back in summer school. And so it's just weird, you know, because you spend all that time preparing to play and now I'm back like I was six months ago, you know, preparing an off-season. And so, I mean, off-season obviously is very, very different in collegiate terms, but, you know, I think that's the, the, the thing I'm, like, trying to wrap my head around right now. Is that going to be hard to, like, disconnect from Atlanta Dream things? Like, are you definitely making a conscious effort to not watch to help get yourself No, I you know I can't do that. Come <laughs> on. You know me too well. Like, I'm too, you know, like um, – you know, with that team, probably Kennedy Carter took it the hardest, um, you know. And so I think with her even, it's um, how do I stay out of their business, um, you know, when I don't belong, but how do I still how do I still help, you know. Like those aren't, um, you know, I, I, it's not my job anymore, but I'm not going to stop caring about those players. I'm not going to stop, you know. I, I, it's the first thing I did last night after the um, – reception was to see how they were doing in the preseason game, you know, didn't watch it, didn't, you know, but still looking at the box score saying, awesome, you know, still texted my staff and said, great job. Like, um, you know, so I, I, I won't be able, I won't be able to disconnect from that. Like it, it I'll be watching um, all the games, to be honest with you, because I think that's what you do. If you want to be good at, at your craft, you're watching the games and figuring out like, all right, what's Klopp doing this year with the defense in Seattle now that he doesn't have Alicia Clark? Like, what's what's Tebow doing with, with playing Charles and Deladon together? You know, I mean, I think there's there's always growth, um, and so I'm going to be watching the game that way, and I'm just I'm just going to be a fan. You know, I'm going to be in growth mode. I'm going to be a fan, and you know, and if, if Kennedy Carter needs a, a, a push, like I'm going to be there for her because you know, I mean, she knows I took a chance on her. Um, and developed a really, really close relationship with her. Um, and I'm going to encourage her to build that relationship with Mike and Darius the same way she built it with me. Um, but I'm still going to be there for her, you know. I mean, I, I'm absolutely never going to stop being there um, for those players. Thank you. My last question is two-parter. The first one is, this the final chapter of your book from last summer? going to Baylor now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's so true. Uh-huh. I forgot about that. Good memory. Good memory, yeah. Doug. Yeah, um, this is another, hey, I mean, you know how many chapters have been added between when we talked about that last <laughs> summer to, like, the the new own, the ownership change and, you know, like, all of that to this? I mean, 
it's getting better. It's like getting better. Um, but yeah, I hope, uh, I hope that this is the last chapter of the basketball part of the book. And then we can talk about like what, you know, the, um, the end, the appendix, you know, we can start talking about like the coffee shop that I'm going to open up, you know, on, on some lake, um, you know, that people can pull up in their pontoons and, you know, I can just like get to know people. Nice. The, the second half of the question is you mentioned Stephanie White. You've made the transition from college to the pros and going back to college. Is it tougher to make this the pro to college transition? Because college and pro, you, you less to deal with in a sense because they're, it's a job. It's a business. Mm-hmm. College, there's recruiting. There's make sure you go to class. There are 18, 22-year-olds instead of 23 and up. I mean, is it tougher to do that, you think, to make that transition going pro to college versus not college to pro? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think it is if you if it's it, it's not already kind of who you are or were. You know, like I think, um, you know, I don't. Stephanie spent a little time in college, but not a lot of time and spent more time in broadcasting um, than she did. You know, I mean, I've been in the trenches and I've had to, you know, battle for players um, in recruiting and, and know what that looks like and know what summer spent on the AAU circuit looks like. I mean, um, I don't think anything's going to surprise me. I, I know that social media has changed things, you know, it continues to change and, and you got to adapt with, with that. But I think, I think the difference here is it's going to come down to how good is my staff, you know, really how good is my staff? Because, you know, at, at the pro level, you don't have much staff. <laughs> you just don't, um, you know, here between, you know, I've met four awesome managers and, and one that, you know, I mean, I've got two assistant operations positions and an, an operations position. And, you know, I, it's going to take me longer to hire a staff than to, uh, you know, recruit a team. Um, but I think that part of it, if you have the right people, if, if you're directing the right way from my seat to the people that I'm working with, then you got people that are going to make sure they're going to class. Now, having said that, if I don't, if I don't make that an emphasis, then their job's really hard. If I make that an emphasis, then their job becomes easier. So, you know, I get what this looks like. I get what this feels like. Um, so this isn't new to me, but I would say generally speaking, yeah, it's probably harder. I think when you when you get used to managing personalities and that being the toughest part of your job in the pros, um, you know, there's less mentoring and more managing um, at that level. Then I think the transition can be hard um, because you're you're not working with people all the time um, that are that are getting a paycheck. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Nikki. All right.